Father, I want to thank you uh, that we have your promise, uh, that as we gather here in this place in your name, uh, you are here with us. Um, and you know that we often, in our slowness and our dullness, we forget that. And I want to pray again, would you open the eyes of our hearts to recognize that the risen Jesus is here with us, uh, wanting to meet with us this morning, wanting to speak to us this morning through your word, um, words that will bring us life and do us good and raise us from the dead and give us hope and send us into the week um, in the power of the resurrection and the power of your spirit. Um, Father, would you help us uh, to hear the things you want to say to us this morning and to be ready with uh, hearts and feet that are ready to uh, obey and put it into action. Um, come and speak to us. Come and be with us. We pray uh, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay. Um, I want to. I want to start this morning with. Uh, we're, we're continuing our journey uh, through Ephesians. We're coming to. Um, I, I've got to stop saying this, don't I? But I think this is my favourite section of Ephesians uh, that we're coming to. I remember first reading it uh, as a student or really studying it as a student 20 years ago, and it kind of blew something apart in my, my understanding of the gospel. Um, and so I want to try and pass on uh, a wee bit of that uh, to you this morning. Um, let me start uh, with maybe a, a light-hearted story. Um, there's, a, there's a little video you can watch on, on YouTube, uh, if you want to later on, of uh, the great Tom Waits, who's a, a tremendously eccentric uh, uh, kind of genius musician and songwriter, uh, whenever he was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, uh, he, gave, he gave one of my favourite acceptance speeches that, that I've ever seen anybody give. And you can go and watch the whole thing later if you're, you're interested. But in, in the middle of his acceptance speech, um, Tom Waits talks about why he got into uh, music in the first place. And he talks about when he was about 15, going to a concert to see a guy called Lightning Hopkins, who was a blues guitarist and singer and all the rest. Um, and Tom Waits talks about how he was just, his mind was blown. He was just dazzled by the performance and the whole presence that Lightning Hopkins had on the stage. And he says he had this orchestra of gold teeth that sparkled every time he opened his mouth. And as a 15-year-old, he was just dazzled by this. But then he says, uh, that he says, then I saw Lightning Hopkins leave the show and he walked through a door and slammed the door behind him. And on the door it said in big letters, keep out, this room is for entertainers only. And Tom Waits says, I knew at that moment that I had to get into show business as soon as possible. Right? I love that story. So he sees this door saying, mere mortals are not allowed in here yet. Only, only those in show business, only entertainers are allowed in here. And he knew at that moment he had to find some way to get behind that door to get to where the, the dazzling gold teeth were um, and all the rest. So that's a bit of a, a light-hearted story. Um, but I want to, maybe a more serious story I want you to, to try to imagine. Um, I want you to try to imagine that you are a Gentile. That's not difficult. Most of us are, are Gentiles, a non-Jew. Um, in the time of Jesus or Paul, so the first century AD, and you live somewhere in the Roman Empire, but you've heard about the God of Israel, you've heard rumors, you've heard stories about the God of Israel, and you're, you're kind of intrigued and fascinated. And so you make the long journey from Ephesus or wherever it is that you live to Jerusalem, 
And when you get to Jerusalem, you find, I meant to have that sign up before, but you find this, um, you find Herod's temple, which was this incredibly impressive building on top of the the mountain in Jerusalem. Um, And you enter, as a Gentile, the the large outer courtyard, which was called uh, the Court of the Gentiles, which is all this space around here. And there's people milling around, and you're allowed, you're allowed to freely move about there as much as you want. But you can kind of see in the middle, as you can see in the diagram, raised above you, a little bit higher than where you are, the, the temple proper, the, the real temple where the real action happens. And you know, maybe you've heard you've, about what's in there, and you know that there are a succession of, of more courtyards. And you'll get a little bit of the story from this, that there's the court of the women, first of all, And then there's the court of the Jews. And then there's the court of the priests. And all of those are moving closer and closer. The women, the Jews, the priests, to this part, which is the real proper, proper temple. Um, And the part that was called the holy place, where incense was offered to God. And only the priest who was on duty could go in and into that area. And then beyond the holy place, or within the holy place, the most holy place, the Holy of Holies, where the presence of God himself was said to dwell. The, the glory of God was revealed in that place. And only the high priest could go in there and only once a year. Right? So this is all what you've heard. But as a Gentile who's traveled a long way from Ephesus to come and see this thing, you reach here. And what you find not only is, is the rest of the temple raised above you, but there's a wall that separates you from it. And on that wall, posted at intervals, are signs, a lot more serious than the one in my Tom Waits story, that basically tell you, as a Gentile, um, you may not enter. No entry. Right? And the trespassers will not be so much prosecuted as executed. Um, And we actually know this because, kind of fascinating archaeological thing, um, a, a number of years ago, they found one of these signs. There's a couple of them, I think, actually, that they've found. And they've been able to decipher and interpret what's written there. And this one uh, says on it, whoever is captured will have himself to blame for his subsequent death. Right? So that's what you find when you reached the temple. And I just want you to kind of consider for a moment, how would you have felt? Right? You're fascinated by the God of Israel. You want to get close. You've come all this way. Here's the wall. Here's the sign. You may not enter. Right? How do you feel? Um, it's really, I think it really helps us with the passage we're about to read. Um, can I suggest, I'm sure you would agree with me, you might feel kind of separate from what's going on in, in there. You might feel kind of excluded. You might feel like a foreigner. You might feel like a stranger. You might feel far away. Even though you've got this far, you feel far away from where the the glory is, from where the presence is, from where the action is. Um, You might wish with all your heart that you could remove this dividing wall of hostility, which is what you've come up against, right? Would you you not want with all your might if someone could get rid of this wall so I can come on in? Um, You'll see in a moment. uh, That's the background to what we're about to read. As Paul writes to Gentile believers who have come to believe in Jesus, in Ephesus and in Asia Minor. Um, Let's read together. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, and we're reading from verse 11. 
I'll put it up on the screen or you can follow in your own Bible. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. And now we come to another of those turning point buts that we came across last week as well. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. wonder, can you hear a little bit of how that good news would have sounded? to those Ephesians, to those Gentiles, um, as they heard it. Um, I, wanna, I think what I want to do um, for the next little while is I, I'm going to just um, pick out of this passage um, three key phrases. And I think if we can kind of get our, our hearts and our minds around these phrases, we'll be well on our way to kind of getting what this whole section is about. Um, so the first one is this. Um, Paul says, You who once were far away have been brought near, right? That, that's right at the heart of what, what this passage is about. Um, he says, you're no longer foreigners and strangers. You're now part of the household of God, the family of God. Um, you're no longer outsiders. You've been brought in. You've been brought near. Um, I wonder, can you hear uh, the good news in there for those who uh, had been excluded, um, and if, if we ask, how has this happened? Uh, the reason I've written it under a picture of that hill and those crosses is because Paul says again and again in this passage, how does it happen in Christ Jesus and specifically through the cross and by the blood of the cross and in his flesh? Did you hear that language repeated again and again? How, how has it happened that those who were far away have been brought near? It's happened through the death of Christ on the cross, he has removed everything that was a barrier, everything that separated you from God. Um, he has removed, 
and has reconciled you and brought you near. Um, And I guess I want to suggest this is really good news for us this morning uh, for a number of reasons. Um, Partly because, as as I already said, most of us here, uh, there may be some in the room who are Jewish by descent. Uh, Most of us in the room are Gentiles, so we, we fit into this category with the Ephesians of those who were outside of Israel. And Paul is saying, the barriers have been removed. We can come right into the heart of the family of blessing, the family of promise. Um, so it's good news because most of us are Gentiles. It's good news because, as we thought about last week, for all of us, all of us, our natural condition is to be alienated from God, to be far away, and we have been brought near, right? Um, but maybe in terms of applying this, I want to especially make sure this morning that you hear this good news um, If you are someone who has known what it is in your life to be excluded and an outsider, because there's an emotional heart to this message that I want to make sure we hear, because there are some of us in the room who know what it's like to come up against barriers and feel that there's a sign-up saying you're not welcome to be excluded, Um, who have sometimes felt in your life like you're on the wrong side of the wall, you're on the wrong side of the door, and inside or the in-crowd, or the insiders, or those who belong, but for some reason you are out in the cold. Um, Maybe you've felt that you've been labelled or called names even by those who are within the circle. Um, I don't know if you noticed at the beginning of our reading, Paul talks about name-calling. He says, those of you who have been called the uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, and who have had labels flung at you uh, by other people, Um, And so I want to especially maybe make sure we pause on this for anybody in the room who has felt at any point in their life like a second-class citizen, like you're the wrong sort, right? I want to make sure you hear this, that Jesus has removed every barrier and invites you to come right into the heart of the story of God's family, right? The barrier has been removed, the signs have been removed, and you are welcome, you are invited. And I want to make sure we get this, that the good news is better than just you get into the the next courtyard. Um, I'll not put up the diagram again, but it's not just that the Gentiles can get into the court of the women, or even into the court of the Jews, or even into the court of the priests. What's the heart of the good news? That as Jesus died on the cross, the curtain around the most holy place was torn from top to bottom. And Gentile and Jew alike through faith in Jesus, are invited to come where nobody ever dared to go. Only the high priest, only once a year. Um, We're invited to the place where God dwells. Um, We're invited into the the heart of that place where God's glory uh, resides. We can come boldly before the throne of grace, as it says elsewhere in the New Testament. We can come freely as his children. The way Paul puts it in the passage we were reading, he says, through Jesus We have access to the Father by the Spirit. We have access right into the the presence of the Father himself. So as we sometimes sing, and we're going to sing at the end, by grace alone somehow I stand where even angels fear to tread. Right? We're not just talking about getting past one wall. We're talking about getting into the heart of the the very presence of the glory of God. Um, And so for all of us, uh, as, as Gentiles, for all of us, as people who were alienated from God, especially if you've known in your story 
what it is to come up against walls and feel like you're on the outside. I want to make sure you hear this morning that you belong, that you are invited into the heart of the family. There's, there's, no, there's no more inner place you can get than what we're talking about, and you are invited by amazing grace to come and stand there. So that's one phrase um, I want to make sure we hear. Uh, you who were once far away have been brought near. Uh, but then what about this phrase? I, this, this kind of catches my attention as we read. It says about Jesus, he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. And I always find myself kind of puzzling over, well, who, who are those who were near? Uh, Paul is talking there about the Jewish people who were, in this story that we're, we're telling, they were the insiders to the story of blessing and promise and all the rest. And they also need the grace of God that comes through the cross of Christ. Um, and I want to just reflect on that for a moment because the Jewish people in the time of Jesus and the time of Paul had fallen far short of their calling. And I, and I think this is kind of a, a sad and tragic story. Um, if you go back to the Old Testament story, the, the, peop- the, the people of Israel had been called to be God's special chosen people, but not so they could simply kind of sit and enjoy their privilege of being chosen and special. They were called specifically to be a blessing to the world. Right? Remember the, the promise to Abraham right at the beginning is all people on earth are going to be blessed through you and your offspring. Right? So the people of Israel were called to bless the nations. They were called to be a a light to the world, a light to the nations. Um, Maybe one of my favorite images in all of the prophets comes in Ezekiel 47, where there's a, a, the the prophet is given a vision of the temple in Jerusalem, which is what we've been talking about this morning. And he sees flowing out of the temple, a great river, which flows out into the world. Um, and, I, and you can go and read this later on, because um, as the river flows out into the world, it brings life everywhere it goes. There are fish and there's animals and there's just life springs up everywhere the river goes. And it says in the story, wherever the river flows, it brings life. Um, and there are trees planted by the river and they provide fruit for food and their leaves provide healing. Right? So do you get the image? This is, this is what the temple is meant to be. It's not meant to be a place that's private and separate and exclusive. It's meant to be a place from which blessing flows out and waters the earth and brings healing and brings, brings life and brings color and all the rest. And what's the tragedy of what has happened by the time of Jesus? Is instead, and it's not all of them, but, but, but it seems to be widespread in uh, the people of Israel. They have turned inward and become proud, and they have treated their pagan neighbors with contempt and hostility. Um, uh, let me just give you a couple of examples of that. And um, we, we know from reading about uh, the, the first century that these things were, uh, were going on. Um, it was taught widely in, in Jewish culture at that time that even if a Gentile woman was about to give birth and was in great peril and distress, that a Jewish person should not help them because they, by helping them, they were helping to bring another Gentile into the world. I hope, I hope you kind of feel the horror of that. Right? Something has gone wrong in the people of Israel from what they were called to, to bless the nations, to 
this contempt that came in for those who were outside the people of promise. Um, If a young Jewish man um, was getting married to a Gentile woman or vice versa, um, sometimes the Jewish community would actually enact a funeral for that young person as a way of saying they are now dead. By marrying uh, a Gentile, they are dead to our community. Um, And probably maybe the best known example was that many Jewish people in, in the first century prayed every morning, Jewish men prayed every morning, thanking God that they had not been born a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. <laughs> right? We're not, we'll not talk about that issue today. Right? But do you, do you get what's gone wrong? That, that they're meant to bless the world, they're meant to be a light to the nations, the river is meant to flow out from Jerusalem to water the world, and instead they've become this kind of exclusive club looking down their nose on those who are outside. Um, this, is why I want, this is why I love this verse, because I, I want to make sure we hear this, that there is still good news for the Jewish people, for those with ears to hear, that Jesus also died for them. He also died for the insiders. Right? And I want to take a moment and apply that also to us, because I think if we're being really honest, Many of us in this room, and I'm putting myself in this category, have most of our lives been on the inside of most doors. Many of us have had all kinds of privileges and advantages in life. Many of us have come from, and this is is by no means everybody, but many of us came from good families, had good education, were taught the scriptures from we could speak, were brought up in the family of faith, um, And I I hear a kind of warning in this story that sometimes instead of asking, I've been given all these things, how can I give them away to my neighbors and give them away to the world and bring blessing? We can become, if we're not careful, smug and superior and self-righteous and we can look down our our nose on those who are outside the camp, right? I wonder, can you recognize that that can happen in, in any of us? And so this is why I find this such good news, that Jesus has come to preach peace to those who were far away. He's also come to preach peace to those of us who have become smug, self-righteous insiders, um, those of us who were near, um, because he needs to bring healing to our proud hearts as well. Uh, And you can see maybe a theme that we've talked about a wee bit over the last couple of weeks, that Jews and Gentiles together Pharisees and pagans together, outsiders and insiders together, older brothers and younger brothers, all of us, we all stand in need of grace and we all find it at the cross. Jesus has come to preach peace for anyone with ears to hear, for anyone who wants to come. Um, we're all invited into the heart of the family. And I think, about, um, I think often about the way that story of the prodigal son ends. How, how does the story end? It ends with Jesus or with the father going out, he wants to welcome in the younger brother who had been far away in the far country, right? He wants to invite him into the party and the feasting and the dancing. But also, the father goes out to the older brother who'd always been an insider, right? He'd always been, had all the advantages. He'd always, he should have known better, but who's become hard and critical and joyless and loveless. But I love the father goes out to him and pleads with him and says, I want you to come in to the Father's house where there is feasting and dancing and all the rest. 
And so all of us, do you hear it? That all of us are invited, whether you've been an outsider all your life or you've been an insider, whether you've been um, a good boy or a bad boy, whether you've been far away or close. Um, all of us need what Jesus brings on the cross, the peace that he brings. So that's good news, right? I had, I had some difficult bad news last week, so you're getting good news this morning, right? Um, but here's where I want to go uh, to kind of challenge us uh, for the rest of our time. So a third phrase uh, from this passage is this. He has removed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Um, and I, I want to think for the rest of our time about, this all sounds really beautiful, this good news that we're talking about for everybody, for those who are far away, for those who are near. Um, but what does it mean for you and I and the way we treat each other and the way we relate to each other? Because the dividing wall of hostility being described here is not primarily the wall between humans and God. It's about the, the wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile, between human and human, right? Um, and so I want to I move towards this for the rest of our time. Um, often, often we think of the gospel in kind of individual terms. Um, if we're asked to give a definition of the gospel, we maybe talk primarily about the individual person being reconciled to God and having their sins forgiven and uh, being brought into God's family. Um, it's about you and your personal relationship with Jesus, right? Uh, that's often where we focus. Um, but I want to remind us again this morning that if we stop there, our gospel is too small, right? The gospel is about us being reconciled to God, but it also has this huge horizontal dimension. It's about being reconciled to each other. Jesus removes the barriers between us and God, but he also removes the barrier between you and your brother or sister. He removes the dividing wall of hostility. Um, and what Jesus does on the cross is not just provide a way of individual salvation, but what does it say, what does it say in our passage? To create one new humanity. It's not an extraordinary phrase. To create a new community, to create a new family out of the two. This is, this is actually about the heart of the gospel. I used to think the gospel was just about me and Jesus and maybe how we treat each other is like a wee secondary extra bit that's kind of good to pay attention to if you want to. But Ephesians 2 was where I suddenly realized what Jesus was doing on the cross was not just about me and God, but it's about me and you, right? It's about how we treat each other, how we live in fellowship with one another. Um, the gospel is about making strangers and enemies into friends and family. And that's true of us and God. We were strangers, we were enemies, we've been brought near, we've been made part of the family. But it's also true of you and I. Um, and so uh, I want to make sure we ask, uh, before we finish, a really practical question, which is, what are the walls that separate us from each other, uh, that make us sometimes strangers and enemies? Um, because Jesus wants to remove the dividing wall of hostility and make peace and make us one family. Um, and I, I think it's really important when we come up against um, a verse like this and a passage like this that we, we try and name really specifically what those walls are. Um, for us, it's not the wall between Jew and Gentile, but we need to figure out what it is because that's where the gospel needs to do its work. So I'm going to make a few suggestions, but I want you to go away and... Think about whether you agree with my suggestions or whether you want to add others um, as well. But let me mention a few. Um, I think in 
in where we are, where we're standing. We can't talk about this without, first of all, naming this one. The dividing wall of hostility between, uh, for shorthand, I'm saying orange and green, right? Between two communities, between usons and demons, whichever way around um, you, you want to express that. Um, every time I read this passage in Ephesians, I'm struck by the fact that we live in a land where we literally still have dividing walls between our communities that are a physical reminder of the division uh, that's in our land. Um, Huge uh, constructs that keep neighbourhoods apart. Uh, I find that photo especially striking. There's households, mothers, fathers, kids. Um, Only, only, uh, I shouldn't say a stone's throw, that's the wrong word to use. Um, But, sorry, very close to each other. And, And literally a dividing wall down the middle. And I know there's moves underway to get rid of some of these and many of these, but many of them are still standing. And as believers in the gospel of peace, we can't ever rest in our praying and our working and our loving until those walls come down, right? Amen. Um, and I was really struck when I was looking for images. Um, I find this really powerful. That I, th- I hope this, this still exists. Well, actually, I don't actually, because I hope the wall has come down. But um, somewhere around the shankle, you, you may know, Julie, someone has painted Ephesians 2 on the wall. That's the verses that we've been reading today. So right there on the wall, they've painted, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has removed the dividing wall of hostility. Is that a, if that's not a prophetic act, I don't know what is. Uh, to write it on the wall and pray until the dividing wall of hostility is removed. So... Um, uh, we can't talk about Ephesians 2 in our land without talking about that one and where we need to see uh, those walls come down within us and in our relating to each other. Um, where else are the walls? Um, it might be the wall between those who are local and those who are foreign, those who are immigrants, those who have come more recently to our land. Um, in general, it may be the divide between nationalities and cultures, We can be divided by language. We can be divided by cultural traditions. We can be divided by stereotypes and by fear and all kinds of stuff. Um, That's one we need to think about and reflect on. It might be the wall between rich and poor. um, Or we might express that uh, differently as the wall between middle class and working class. It may be a wall between those who are overeducated and those who are less educated. Um, it may be a difference of education. Um, it may be the wall between men and women, which seems to express itself differently in every generation, but still um, can be a real divide. Um, it may be a wall between young and old, between generations who find it really hard to understand each other and really hard to respect each other and really hard to get close to each other. Um, and I think that's, that's a big thing for us right now. It might be the wall between left and right, and I'm using that as shorthand for that might be political, between those who call themselves conservative and those who call themselves progressive or something else. Um, It may be sometimes in the church we have our left and right as well, Um, and we we maybe have the names that we call each other. It's not circumcised and uncircumcised, but it might be pulpit-thumping fundamentalist, or it might be liberal snowflake, or it might be whatever. We have our names that exclude and other, uh, the other person. Um, and I want to say, uh, actually, I'm not finished yet. More walls. 
Um, this one, I think, is big. I, I, I call it the wall between messy and tidy, between those whose lives have been and are really messy and complicated, and those whose lives, at least from the outside, look really tidy. They seem to have it all together. That's your classic Pharisee, pagan, older brother, younger brother divide, and that can be a wall. Um, it may be simply the divide between you and me. And I don't mean you specifically and me specifically, but sometimes it's not even about the big issues I've just been naming. It's about personality. It's about we don't even know why, but that person really annoys me. Um, it really irritates me, and I just can't, can't be having them, can't be getting on with them, uh, or whatever. Um, and this is really, these walls that separate us, this is really difficult and deeply ingrained and uncomfortable. And I, and I want to say that because it, it took the blood of Jesus to break these walls down, right? That's the cost that's involved because it's not an easy thing to bring people who are divided together. Um, and so you and I shouldn't expect that we're going to find this easy to live out. Um, I, I can kind of understand. Some people decide it's easier to just do church with people like me, right? There's lots of ways that people decide that and say, so in, in some places, people decide, let's have a church for white people and a church for black people. Or let's have a church for middle class people and a church for working class people. Um, sometimes I wonder where you stop if you go down that road. Do we have a, a church for Guardian readers and a church for Daily Mail readers or a church for United supporters and Liverpool supporters or whatever? It would make life easier, right? Um, but I don't want to joke about it, actually, because there's something, there's something really serious. We can end up thinking, I'll just gather a little group of friends around me who are just like me, and that'll be church for me. Um, and that kind of little gathering of friends can be really good and really positive and, and can be an expression of Christian fellowship. Um, but I want to say something very blunt uh, that I, I became convicted of a while back, and I really believe, is it's not church <laughs> until you're breaking bread who you, with people you would never otherwise be friends with, right? I really believe that. Um, it can be an expression of the church, but it's not truly the church until you're breaking bread with people there is no way in a million years you would ever be friends with except that Jesus brought you together at the cross. That's when church becomes church. Um, I really believe that. Um, it's tempting just to gather with people like me, but it violates the heart of the gospel and what Paul is talking about in Ephesians. Um, and I want to encourage you, um, maybe this is very easy to talk about uh, in theory, uh, but I want to encourage you, this has to be put into practice. Um, it's actually very easy to sit and say, um, yes, I love and accept all my brothers and sisters. <laughs> um, I love them all. Um, it's, it's very easy to love people from a distance or in general. It's the specific and up close that gets really difficult. And so if you want to apply what we've been reading in Ephesians 2, you actually have to get out of your seat and cross the room. You have to move towards some of the people who are on the other side of these walls from you. Um, you, have to, you have to put it into practice. Um, and I, I just want to mention um, some of the ways that we can put it into practice, some of the actions we can take. Um, one of the most important is that we can break bread with those people. That's where we remember the, the heart and the source of our unity. We are united by the blood of Christ. That's where our peace is found. It's really hard to break bread with someone and hold on to your hostility towards them. It should be, right? We have to lay down our hostility as we share bread and wine together. 
Um, another really practical thing is to pray together. Um, because why, why is that a really powerful thing? Because we both come to the one Father by the one Spirit in the name of the one Jesus. And as you pray together, you, you realize that, that although we're separated by all these different things, we have this huge thing in common um, as we come uh, to pray. Praying together breaks down uh, some of those walls. Um, we can move towards each other and just, um, you can put this in whatever way you want. Have a cup of coffee, um, share a meal together, um, share your story with each other, um, share life together. Um, and we find that some of those walls get broken down. Um, that, that, this is what we have to do, I think, to make Ephesians 2 a reality, is actually sit down and have a cup of coffee with someone who's on the other side of the wall uh, from me and see what happens. Um, and another very practical thing we can do is simply to work together. Find some common cause in serving the church and serving Jesus and his kingdom and work side by side, build a wall together, plant a garden together, um, volunteer and crash together, right? As we serve side by side in the kingdom, um, again, some of those walls get broken down and we start to recognize each other as family um, as we do that together. Um, you can add other things that we can do, but we've got to actually put it into practice. Um, here's where I want to finish. I want to finish by asking this, is why does, does what we're talking about now really, really matter? Because I, I think this is hugely important. Um, and I want to suggest as we finish that it really matters for two big reasons. One is for us and one is for our neighbours. Right? So for us, the reason is this, because it makes the gospel real in our experience, in our lived experience. Because um, sometimes you and I, we talk about these beautiful words like grace and peace and reconciliation. And those words sound kind of beautiful, but they also sound kind of vague and far away. And those beautiful words become real as you and I learn to cross the room and cross the barricades and love each other. Um, I, I actually think we need to kind of go through a a paradigm shift where whenever we're living in community together um, as church, we're going to constantly bump up against each other. I don't know if you've noticed this. You keep bumping into walls. And some of them seem like really high walls where you can't even see the other person. And some of them are like wee tiny and annoying walls where you keep bumping your sins against them. But when you're in community, you, you keep bumping up against walls. And sometimes we think church would be amazing if it wasn't for those Walls, they're like a distraction from what I really want to do, which is just worship Jesus and have a nice time and all the rest. Um, I, I had a bit of a, a light bulb moment a couple of years ago where I realized when we bump up against those walls, that's where we have the opportunity to be the church. That's not a distraction from church. That's what being church is about because we know what to do with those walls. We bring them to Jesus and we say, here at this place of hostility, I need to see the peace of the gospel at work, bringing healing in our hearts and reconciling what's broken. And we, we have an opportunity to see the power of the gospel at work. That takes a little bit of a change of mindset. Rather than panicking whenever we come up against some difference or some conflict or some hostility, we bring it to Jesus and say, you are our peace. Can you make peace here between me and my brother, between me and my sister? Um, so I want to encourage you, this is how the gospel becomes real in our experience as you and I work this out uh, in community uh, together. But secondly and lastly, 
Um, it makes the gospel visible to our neighbors. Um, because our neighbors out there, they hear us preaching all these beautiful words like grace and peace and reconciliation. But if they come in the door, and I know I've said this many times, but if they come in the door and they find as they watch us that we are strangers from one another, just being polite on a Sunday morning, or even find that we are enemies, hostile to each other, what will they conclude? They will conclude that the gospel is fake news and they will walk away sad. Um, in First John it says, if, if we claim to love God who we can't see, but we don't love our brother who we can see, then we're liars. There's no truth in us, right? So the gospel becomes visible as you and I live this out. Um, if, people, if our neighbours come into our midst and they find here a weird and wonderful mix of people from every background with every kind of story and all kinds of personalities and all kinds of politics and opinions and all ages and stages of life, people who would never otherwise be friends, learning to live the gospel of peace together, practising grace and forgiveness and reconciliation, then the gospel becomes visible and credible and believable and people will be drawn in uh, by by the light, by the beauty of what they they see. Um, I said that was my last point and I lied because I've got a bonus. Do you want a bonus zinger to go home with? Um, Which is this. It makes the gospel visible not only to our neighbours but also to the angels. And I want you to go home and read this in chapter 3 of Ephesians because Paul decides to blow our minds and says this is part of God's purpose is to make known the manifold wisdom of God. That means his kind of multicolored, many-splendored, beautiful, amazing, bright wisdom to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms through the church. That's you and I. And so the way I, the way I would paraphrase that is this, is that the angels are standing on tiptoe and leaning in to see if you and I can live this gospel in practice, because that's where the wisdom of God becomes visible even to the angels. Isn't that an amazing thought to carry into your Sunday afternoon? Um, Let's pray together and then let's sing um, as we finish this morning. Um, Father, thank you for Um, thank you for the amazing good news that because of Jesus and what he suffered and what he bore and what he took on himself on the cross, um, all of us are invited, all of us are welcome to come by faith uh, right into the heart of the story, right into the heart of your family, right into the very presence of our good, good father. Um, whether we've always been outsiders or whether we've always been insiders, um, we are in need of the same grace and we find it at the cross. And we want to say thank you this morning um, for that amazing grace. I want to pray that every single person in the room this morning would hear that that good news is for them, that they are welcome to come and they're invited to come near because of Jesus. Um, help, Help each of us to say a deep and a decisive yes to that invitation and to come near. Um, but Father, also, would you help us um, 
to put this into practice in the way we treat each other. And wherever there are walls of difference and walls of ignorance and walls of hostility that keep us apart, um, help us never to just accept those as a reality in our lives, but help us to keep bringing those walls to you and asking here, between me and my brother, between me and my sister, would you come and bring peace and make the gospel visible? Let us see the beauty of the gospel in the healing of our human relationships. Make us one family, not just as a nice thing that we say, but in reality. Um, Father, help us this week. Show us how we could put this into action um, by having a cup of coffee with someone, by moving towards someone, by working with someone, by praying with someone. Um, Make this reality step by step in our lives. And I pray that the angels might even stop and notice what's going on in Mount Sandal. Say there's something there that is profound and beautiful and supernatural. Um, That those who were strangers and enemies are becoming family and friends because of the blood of Christ. Um, And I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.